It's just really cozy to have a dog. It makes mm. you feel really good. Yeah. People understand their relationship with their dogs in many different ways. I'm Grace Sanborn. I'm Amanda Pratt. And I'm Josie Davis. The three of us interviewed Barry Steiner, who adopted her dog Ivan with her husband, Professor Peter Gillendyes, to discover how she relates to and conceives of her relationship with Ivan. Ivan is a large white dog with brown markings. We had the opportunity to meet Ivan when we met with Barry in her backyard, so we were able to experience, not just hear about, Ivan's common behaviors and tendencies. I don't know. I never, I, when I was younger, I wasn't a big dog. Like, I grew up with a dog. People end up bringing home a dog for a number of reasons, and, like Barry, may even be reluctant at first. However, a good dog often has the potential to change someone's outlook on the species as a whole. To clarify what caused her previous distaste for dogs, Barry explains... Uh, we got a dog from a breeder named Rosie, who was a nightmare dog. Like, she was overbred, and she would eat everything and bite people. And my parents, we just had her, and it was like we had this bad dog, wasn't that nice to us, and wasn't that attached to us. So I didn't grow up loving dogs. Like, our dog felt like, oh my god. While Barry had trauma in her past due to a previous dog, that did not deter her from adopting again as an adult. And somebody who worked with me told me that I should try road trip rescues that's what it's called and they had pictures of the dogs they had available and it's a woman who i think lives in bangor and she drives down south to kill shelters Mm -hmm. and brings dogs back up adopting from a rescue can be wonderful but as dog training expert pat miller explains in do over dogs it takes time and effort writing about her own experience miller says i spent months researching shelters on the internet and interviewing people who had adopted dogs i saw several dogs online and submitted my application This particular shelter had called, and we spent quite a long time on the phone interviewing each other before talking about the three possible dogs they had. I had my criteria, and they were very upfront about theirs, which I appreciated. While Ivan's adoption went smoothly at first, Miss Steiner explains that Ivan did not assimilate very quickly into her home. I was nervous when we first got him. He didn't want to go upstairs. He looked out the window for the woman who brought him on the couch all night, and then eventually he got comfortable. As a society, we see it as normal to bring a dog into your home and for them to immediately adjust to your lifestyle. However, for a multitude of dogs from kill shelters, it is much more difficult for them to adapt to a new environment. They lose their sense of security when they are thrown into a new location with different people. In an article for the New York Times titled, Everyone Wants a Rescue Dog, Not Everyone Can Have One, Kate Murphy focuses on some of the problems that stem from transporting large numbers of rescue dogs from the south to the north. She says, the stress of transport not only makes animals susceptible to disease, but can also contribute to behavioral problems. A loving home at the end of the line sometimes isn't enough to make up for all that trauma. Most dogs eventually adjust to their owner's routines, but it's really important to be patient and understanding with them, as Barry was. She describes another initial trait that Ivan displayed. We used to let him up on beds and he got really territorial. Like he would kind of growl, which was strange. Yeah, because so, a lot of dogs sleep in beds to like protect their owners. Yeah, it so. felt like he was getting like, this is my space. He was a puppy. It was like he was drunk on the power of being in our bed. It is interesting that Ms. Steiner mentioned this because in Inside of a Dog, Alexandra Horowitz explains, Our beds smell like us while the dog bed smells like whatever material the dog bed manufacturer had lying around, and our beds are where we are. While Ivan's growling seems to be poor behavior, Horowitz views it not as a moral wrongdoing, but rather as a normal dog behavior, sometimes described as resource guarding. 
Pat Miller explains how to approach a situation involving resource guarding as she expresses, you can prevent resource guarding by convincing your dog you're not a threat to his possessions. Teach your dog to trade good stuff for better stuff, then give him the original good stuff back again. While speaking with Barry, we gained an idea of what her relationship is like with Ivan and how he has changed her as a person. Just great to have a dog. Like, we have two kids, and it's like our family mascot, kind of. We were very intrigued by the way Barry expresses her family's love for Ivan. Many people consider their dog to be a child or possibly just a pet, but Ivan has earned the title of family mascot. This speaks for his personality and the role he plays in his family. Explaining him as a family mascot associates Ivan with qualities such as being outgoing and cheerful. There's even a sense of popularity associated with the title. By saying Ivan is a mascot, she paints a picture of him as a representative and loved figure for a team, or in this case, family. While Ivan is seen as a happy character who plays a loud role in his family, Barry also sees Ivan in a childlike role. Uh, probably like a parent. I feel pretty parental. <laughs> in Caroline Knapp's memoir, Pack of Two, she expresses the deep love that so many of us feel for our dogs. She writes, fall in love with a dog, and in many ways you enter a new orbit. A universe that features not just new colors, but new rituals, new rules, a new way of experiencing attachment. Barry explains her relationship with Ivan to be less of a passionate relationship and more of a benign love. I don't feel like I'm in love with my dog. I mean, I feel like I really like him and I'm really grateful for his presence. And I can say, like, when when we had our last dog and we went through the experience of losing our dog, people, people who have dogs understand. People who don't, you know, It is human nature to associate non-humans with human qualities. Also known as anthropomorphisms, this tendency is a key part of building a relationship with an animal that does not speak the same language. It is a part of the way we love and relate to our animals. Alexandra Horowitz expresses that certain anthropomorphisms degrade and de-animalize dogs, but others let their personality flourish with individualism. Giving a dog a human name or any name at all is a way of anthropomorphizing. As Horowitz explains, to name a dog is to assert an interest in understanding the nature of the dog. To not name the dog seems the pinnacle of disinterest. There is a degree of anthropomorphism that allows for the canine character to take on the form of an individual within the family. The Steiner family does exactly this by going beyond Ivan's name and giving him a voice. I mean, we totally do a voice for him. Following the adoption of Ivan, Barry noticed strains behaviors Ivan had around other dogs. She decided to describe him as having a fearful personality. It is very common for humans to try to sympathize with their dogs by naming the issue as it would relate to themselves. And, while it can lead to misunderstandings, it is also a sign of the love and care we have for our dogs. And then I feel like he's misunderstood when he's lurching at other dogs, but I wish he didn't do it. Barry's strong relationship with Ivan has allowed for her to empathize with him in attempts to figure him out, just as one would do for another human whom they love. In our attempts to show our love, we apply our own emotions to our dogs, sometimes even in a voice so that they can tell us their problems. I really do anthropomorphize him, you know?
know, people often say there's emotional intelligence and there's actually some controversy about, but I do think that there's something about him that he's a good companion. Um, he really makes you feel like he cares about you. Barry's comment about emotional intelligence corresponds to Horowitz's conception of the human-dog relationship. In fact, Horowitz believes that dogs are so good at reading our body language that she deems them canine anthropologists. Horowitz says, If done suddenly, or if you cross the room with a purposeful stride, an attentive dog has all the information he needs. Habitual watcher of your behavior, he sees your intent even when you think you are giving nothing away. As we've seen, dogs are very sensitive to gaze and thus changes in our gaze. Dogs, therefore, attend to our attention and are masters at capturing it. Well, you notice that he likes to put his, his chin in people's laps, um, which is really sweet. This action is what Horowitz calls an attention-getting behavior, anything that a dog does to interfere with what you are currently trying to do. Other common attention getters are jumping, barking, pawing, or simply, and intentionally, orienting oneself in the intended line of vision. Attention getting behavior is a visceral example of how dogs communicate with us, even though they cannot speak in human language. However, different dogs respond differently to human forms of communication, and therefore communicate differently as well. Throughout our conversation, Barry contrasted her relationship with Ivan to her relationship with her previous dog, Pablo. She stressed the differences between how Ivan and Pablo interacted with her. Speaking of Pablo, she said, We had a border collie before when, when we first moved here who got old and we had to put down, unfortunately, but he had a good long life. And he knew so many words. We had to spell the words and then he'd figure out the spelling. Ivan, however, interacts with Barry very differently. Great. He doesn't seem to know any words. Like, he doesn't seem to even know his name. Like, if I say his name, he doesn't respond, but he really responds to visual cues. Although it may seem appropriate to ascribe measures of intelligence to her two different dogs, Ivan and Pablo simply assign different importance to visual or audio cues. These intersecting stimuli form what Horowitz calls the canine umwelt, or the dog's subjective or self-world, which affects how dogs attend to and communicate with us. As humans, it is our responsibility to transplant ourselves into the canine umwelt in order to better understand how dogs perceive the world around them so we can build stronger relationships with them. So what does Barry's relationship with Ivan teach us about the dog-human relationship? Perhaps the most important part of our conversation was towards the end, when she mentioned that her relationship with Ivan affects more than the two of them. I think it's made me more compassionate and patient, and, um, and it also makes me understand pe other people who have dogs. In her book, Ethics and Animals, An Introduction, Lori Gruen emphasizes the relationship between how we interact with animals and how we interact with other people. She says non-human animals serve a conceptual role in helping us define ourselves as human. While Barry was not commenting on the ethical implications of our conception of other animals, her ultimate conclusion of her relationship with Ivan operates within Gruen's philosophical space. It also makes you like just appreciate animals, yeah. you know, yeah. all animals.